And I just said to him, because I don't have the same money tree growing in my backyard as you do. So sometimes I'm a psychologist, sometimes I'm a marriage counselor, sometimes I'm a, sometimes I'm a policeman, sometimes I'm somebody's daughter or mother, you know, that's not related to me. Um, and I look at, and I reflect on my day and think, did I actually even do any financial advice? <laughs> Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're entrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both so inspired by each other's life experiences. It was then and there that we decided to create this platform because we believe in the power of connection through sharing our experiences. Our goal is to bring you insights, wisdom from the people who inspire us, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes. We invite you to join us as we create positive change in mind, body, and soul from the inside out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to From the Inside Out. Welcome back. Our discussion today is about money and empowering us as women to have more of an understanding as to how we can manage and navigate it. And for a long time, I have been wanting to interview Esther Althaus. She is very up there um, as a financial advisor in Australia. And every time I go, she has great advice for me on um, finances and the little bits that she shared with me, I felt like I wanted to expand on that. And um, Ida, I kept telling you, hey, I really want to bring Esther onto our platform so she can share with both of us and, and with all our listeners on financial management and advice and empowering us to feel like we can manage our finances in the best way possible. Yeah, and to do anything, really. Um, yeah. And one thing, one thing that often comes up or came up in my coaching practice, coaching um, people, specifically women who have ADHD, is this recurring theme and pattern of like, I can't do, I can't manage um, my, you know, fill in the blanks. The word can't, and that's what we really focus most on. What does that mean? You know, when you say that you can't, because sometimes people say I can't, and then they do it, and then they realize they can. So it's not that you can't, it's more that you might be unwilling to try, um, anyone who's familiar with Susie Orman, she's a, a you know financial guru who's been on Oprah several times. She talks so much about the importance of um, really everybody, children, you know, from a young age, um, you know, women, men, all cultures, all religions, to have a handle on how to manage your finances. When I was just in Australia a few weeks ago, I, I was drawn towards the idea of finally doing this with Esther and um, I'm really excited uh, to share the episode because you've just mentioned the word I can't and Esther actually mentions you'll hear within the episode that often women say it's too hard and Esther shows us in this episode that we can and it doesn't have to be hard if we have the right mindset when we're listening we can also tap into what mindset do we want to have like it's an opportunity in general as mothers too to our children when we give them money like a gift like Hanukkah Geld, um, birthday money or pocket money to look at our values of what we want to use our money for and and for tzedakah for charity which causes we want to support it's an opportunity to, for us to make it a discussion in, with our spouses with our children about our values you know it's an opportunity for us to explore with them what va- what our values are and also discuss the meaning of charity and helping others and what that does in the world so 
as you listen to this episode, you'll hear Esther share too, that it's all in the mindset and listening to this episode can be turned into something thought-provoking and meaningful. Yeah. And what ended up, what ended up happening in the conversation, this is why I love meeting new people and just kind of exploring topics like this is that there was so many amazing real life applications that you can take and apply in all areas of your life. So we, we look forward to bringing you this episode and we hope that there are good takeaways, uh, specifically if you're looking to uh, expand your knowledge in the area of uh, finance. Can I share one more thing with you? And that is that I often, when I meet people and they say, I listen to your podcast, like, can you tell me what, what's the latest book you're reading? Because you know, often people love the books that we share. And when, after listening to this episode, Ida, you had actually recommended this book to me. It got me to pull this book out, Give and Take by Adam Grant. Yeah. Yes. Excellent it's book. Why Helping Others Drives Our Success and the Difference Between a Giver, a Taker, and actually a matcher. There's three types of people um, in the business world. It's one of those books that gets you to think about your values. And um, yeah, so I thought that it would. it's a good book to share in our introduction here going into the episode. I'm in the middle of it and I'm hooked. <laughs> you know, is, the giver is looking out more to connect with people but for the greater good, whereas the taker is looking more out for themselves. Question really is when you're giving, when you're giving, is it because you're, there's an expectation of something, of getting something in return? And we talked about this with, with Chase Taub, right? Um, you know, it's giving for fun and for free. Right, exactly. This is also a discussion that can be discussed with your family. Yeah, like what does it mean to give? What is giving? What is taking? Where's the distinction? Um, and what's, what, what is our role? Yeah, what, you, do we need, you, what do we need to know? Right, exactly. And that when you do take or when you do save, what do you want to do with that money? When you do give, where do you want to give it? And um, yeah, what does it mean to give wholeheartedly? No, yeah, and we hope that, that you enjoy this episode. And we love, you know, we really welcome feedback um, on, you know, any topics that you want to cover. Actually, the uh, anxiety podcast came as a recommendation from, from a listener of ours. So um, keep the comments coming. Please don't forget to leave a review and, and subscribe. I've seen some beautiful ones yet. lately. I've seen some beautiful reviews. We read every review and we welcome and appreciate everything that you, the listener, has to say. And thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Meet Esther Althaus, an award-winning financial advisor, particularly for two women. Esther currently works with families in planning a smooth and healthy transition of finances from one generation to the next. Esther is also passionate about helping people who have had little previous insight into finances and wealth management, such as women who have become widowed, separated, divorced, or who have inherited funds and are looking for guidance. Esther is also involved in various communal activities, but is most visible as a committee member of Unchain My Heart, a coalition of Jewish women's organizations that have united to support people who are victims of get refusal. Esther presents to corporate and community organizations and her willingness to share her life experiences together with her no-nonsense and humorous manner leaves her audience and those she works with inspired to take the next steps that they need to improve their lives. We love Esther's mission, promoting financial literacy and empowering women to be more educated about the financial situation so they can make better financial decisions. Hi, Esther. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you, Rivka and Ida. Nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. I've heard such wonderful things from Rivka. <laughs> Rivka, it's so good to see you. Yes, it's so good. It was great to see you in Australia. And I'm so excited Ida gets to meet you and that I get to share your wisdom with 
all our listeners. Um, and I'm trying to describe to Ida that you're very straightforward and you've got an amazing witty sense of humor. Hopefully that's going to come out. <laughs> and Rufka um, said that you'd be such a great guest to have on the podcast and told me a little bit about you. And I think this is, this is going to be a very important conversation. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes. Actually, look, my personality type is definitely laid back and funny and I enjoy life. But when it comes to this, I take this very seriously. You know, this is serious. I, I try to bring a bit of humor into it, but um, it's, what it's I mean. serious. Yeah, both of us are serious about this. We're really excited to feel more confident as um, women feeling that sense of financial freedom. And yes. that's what we want for our listeners as well, to have that feeling yeah. of confidence being a woman and knowing what to do with our finances and how to navigate and grow yeah. our finances as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Esther, so I grew yes. up with you and uh, this is, yes, and, and we're actually related, which is really special. Yeah. Um, and I, I've come to really respect you and what you do, even though I always looked up to you as, as an older cousin. And I wanted to ask this question. I have a feeling that um, I have a little bit of insight into the answer, but I wanted our listeners to yes. get a bit more insight into that. Often when we interview people, we see that they've grown successful in their career um, because it often started with e either a personal story or a challenge that led them to their purpose. And uh, we wanted to know if this is true for you and if so, how? Right. So absolutely, absolutely. Um, I just grew up very laid back, um, easygoing. I didn't want a lot in life and things just came naturally to me. I followed the path, the typical path. I ended up getting married young, starting a family, and um, I didn't go uh, to university. I wasn't great at school. I thought I was really bad at education, and I was going to be a homemaker and leave it to my husband to support the family. Things didn't quite turn out that way, and I realized that the only way that I was going to have a key to some sort of um, security in my life is if I started studying. So when my youngest daughter was born, she was one month old, I was 26, I had to just face that fear. I um, rolled up to the stock exchange in Melbourne here because I was always interested in finance. I had a thing for numbers. And I said, look, I have no education. I need to do something. What can I enroll in? And I started my first studies, my first subject. Um, I was very nervous about it. I had a lot of trepidation. Like I said, I thought I was bad at school. That's what I was told my whole life. And um, I passed the subject and I did really, really well. And my confidence around my ability to educate myself grew slowly more and more that I started to like shake off the old beliefs, believed in myself, and then found subjects that I love that I um, that I really connected with and then ultimately made a career because I had to take financial independence or financial control of my family or we were just going to be living on handouts for the rest of my life. I like that you said that you weren't good at school. That was the narrative, right? I'm not good at school, but then you found something that you were good at. And you, you mentioned you were good with numbers and then you kind of found your, your way. And this is a little bit of a side point, but to anyone who's listening who says, I'm not good at school, 
perhaps it's not that it's just that you haven't found your, your jam, right? Your niche, the thing that you're looking for that you're really good at because no one's good at every single thing. So um, that's a great, great little lesson right there. So can you tell us what do, what do you do? Like, what is, what would you, how would you describe your current area of work, field of work? Okay. So I'm a financial advisor. That's also known as a financial planner, a wealth manager. It's got a lot of interchangeable terms, but I want to make a distinction between being a financial advisor and being a financial counsellor. Okay. So a financial counsellor typically works with people who have a very, very basic or no understanding of their financial circumstances and um, needs to help them just get even an insight into their finances. Usually people will go to a financial counsellor when they're perhaps in a bit of trouble. Okay. A financial advisor is a little bit different. Financial advisor, so what I do is I work with, um, well, I mean, I work with with a little bit more of a niche, but just in general, what does a financial advisor do? What a financial advisor would do is they'll look at your your overall financial situation. They'll get a very good idea about what your objectives are and what you want to achieve in your life. And then they will design a financial plan to help you meet the objectives, the things that you need now, soon and later. That's the idea. How to maximize wealth, how to make sure you have money when you need it, how to protect your lifestyle and your wealth through various types of insurances, and really piece together a comprehensive plan to secure your finances against, you know, well, not against, to secure your finances for what you need in life and then for what life could bring to you unexpectedly. Right. So it's kind of like a therapist versus a coach in a way, you know, a financial counselor, what you're saying is a counselor, someone who is, is um, working with someone who really needs to kind of get on their feet, get help. And then an financial advisor sounds like someone who's working with someone who has goals and wants to kind of work toward those goals. So is that wealth management? Is that kind of the same, same ballpark? Well, it depends who you ask because there are a lot of <laughs> interchangeable names, uh, terms, and in different countries they're used yeah. differently. But t- sometimes with wealth management, there's more of an understanding that people have a certain amount of assets and you just take the money and maximise it in isolation to any objective. So there's not really a connection to a goal. It's more about, you know, take this money, manage it, make the most you can do with it. Um, that sort of attitude comes with different risks and a wealth manager has to assess the risks and that is one piece of the puzzle of what a financial planner does. Okay, gotcha. No, I was wondering about the wealth management aspect if you sit in a room together with a wealth management expert. Um, No, I don't, but I don't try to be an expert at everything. Within my role as a financial advisor, I specialize in understanding what the clients want to achieve. So I'm creating relationships with clients and I'm also designing, I'm the architect. Okay. Let's, let's put it that way. I am designing the overall plan. Now, if I'm sitting with clients during the day, I'm not following what financial markets are doing. I'm not a technical expert at those things. So I do have access to research 
and outsourced to different teams who have that expertise that I can then introduce back into the business. So in the earlier in my career, you know, you feel like you have to be an expert at everything so people can trust you and you sound like you know a lot. But at this point, I can say, no, I focus on what my specialty is, but I have a lot of access to resources that fill in those other gaps so that I can then, you know, build the, um, build the plan for, for people. That's great. And that comes with confidence. You're fine-tuned and you know what your niche is. I read in your bio that you primarily work with families and specialize in helping support women. Can you share some examples of clients you work with? And is there a pattern you find um, that often repeats itself? Dealing yes. with women? Sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate that because, um, yes, I have definitely built my career on um, and my reputation on promoting financial literacy to women and particularly working with women who become widowed, divorced, and often have not had a lot of insight into their financial circumstances. Nowadays, I spend a little bit more time working with intergenerational wealth transfer and working, so working with some people who are a little bit older, who are at the stage of life where they're thinking about, you know, how to structure their finances to pass on 120 at 120 and coming up with creative solutions to prepare that transfer. Now, where the women's side comes into that is women live longer than men. Women, the type of women in the age group I'm working with today still are typically have not been the primary um, decision maker when it's come to their finances. So there's a lot of handholding when it comes to the matriarch of a family who might suddenly find themselves alone and then have you know, grown-up children who want to be involved in their finances or just need support because they're getting information from everywhere and there's some objectivity that needs to be brought in and helping them get an insight. Having said that all, I still do love and I'm passionate about promoting financial literacy to females. I have three daughters, you know, I have a complete interest in in promoting that. And um, so I do still work with both demographics, but a little bit more now with the intergenerational uh, transfer. So one thing that um, kind of bothers me a lot about our educational system. And this is, I guess, maybe it's more of like a, a broader issue, you know, yes. more so than education is that most people aren't learning in grade school, you know, how to balance a budget, how to run, you know, how to manage a checkbook, um, mm-hmm. how to, you know, how to do all of that stuff. And everyone's going to have to do it at some point, even yes. someone who, you know, maybe there's a breadwinner in the house and they're not really running the finances. But I guess this kind of question is twofold. The first question being how you feel about that. And also, you know, what would you say to someone who has no idea how to manage a budget or anything? Like, where would you start? Where would you start with that? Right. Came to you? Yeah. Okay. Right. Big question. Okay. So I completely agree. There is not enough emphasis or probably negligible um, um, emphasis at all on financial literacy in schools in education the curriculum seems to be very overpacked particularly curriculums in you know jewish schools when you're trying to teach secular and jewish studies and there's just no room for a lot of these extras i have spoken at schools but 45 minutes is never enough 
especially when the bell's about to go and you want to settle everybody, uh, you know, after lunch and there is not enough. And these are key survival skills. <laughs> they are really adult. I don't have to tell you guys. These are survival. They're relationship survival. They're a world survival skills and they are not teaching them in schools. Um, so um, they really have, the educators really have to do more about it. Now, I did um, design a little um, seminar, which I haven't promoted as much as I should, but um, it, it was called Start Money Smart. And it's for nice. kids who have been young adults. Yes, yeah, Start Money Smart from 18 to, say, 22-year-olds. And the idea is to give them an introduction, whether they're going to study, going on a gap year, going straight into the workforce, what are the things you need to know about as you now become an adult and need to start to think about managing your own finances. And the first thing that I introduce is the idea of a budget or a cash flow, understanding your cash flow. Keep it simple, money in and money out. You know, understand your position when it comes to money in, money out. Then we add a layer of, okay, the money out, what does that look like? Money out could be money on expenses, money on savings, money on investing. So money on savings and investing is not really money out, but it's money, it's a mini money out in terms of it's not available to you right now. You're putting it somewhere mm. and a charitable aspect to it. But the first point is what money's coming in, what money's coming out, and where is there room to uh, to do something? And starting small is fine. You don't have to wait till you've got a, a huge amount of money. There's lots of apps and tools and things that you can engage with these days that make it possible to do something with very small amounts of money. So that's the first step. <laughs> Nice. Okay. That's comprehensible. <laughs> that's good. How do you get, do you get people to write it down in like a Google doc or what kind of app do you use an app? Um, okay. So, so in all honesty, the people that I see now have a very good insight of their um, financial right. situation and their, their cash flow. So we don't do it in that micro detail, but we, the resources that we have available, a number of things. First of all, there are just Excel spreadsheets that are pre-populated with budget um, um, budget prompts. So, for example, household expenses, and it'll itemise food, um, you know, uh, fruit, groceries, uh, repairs and maintenance. Then there'll be car expenses with prompts, gas, petrol, insurances, registration. So you can get X, I have Excel spreadsheets that do that. And then you just put in the frequency, like the amount, the frequency, and it auto calculates it for you. Um, most bank apps, I don't know how it works in the US, but most of the banks here have apps that allow you to um, categorize expenses. And they're very intuitive because if it's an expense spent at a large, um, let's say a, a large supermarket, the app already knows if it's a national brand that that is um, groceries, for example. Um, or you can go in and customise if there's a shop that you go to regularly, you can go in and customise it. So every time you spend money somewhere, it puts it into that category. And then you can log into the desktop app of your, of your banking, of your bank, 
and it will just spit it out there. You can put a time frame in, you put a, you know, the last year and it'll all be categorised already there for you. Um, but there are also other apps. Um, I've used something called Money Brilliant and that you can feed your bank um so it's got data feeds to your different bank accounts. And again, you can categorize it. You can, it sends you notifications if you've got as reminders of bills coming up. If you've money, large amounts have gone out or have come into your account, it'll send you notifications and you can set the limits of when you want to know what's going on. So do we make people write it down actually? That sounds no, great. We don't write it down, but there's lots of tools to do it for you. As it happens, right? But you do have to spend I a little bit of time idea of that setting app. it up. That app sounds yeah. great. Money brilliant. Yeah, the, the apps are great, and some are better in different jurisdictions. Like in the US, you'd have to find apps that feed better into your banking um, system over there. But they so there do. is one actually that I um, I know of, and I I I, I want to just um, just a disclaimer: I am not yeah. a financial expert. I I actually am. I have a lot of work to do in that in that area, um, well, which is why, why I'm so we're interviewing you. But I do know there's an app, there's an app and a, and a website called Mint um, that Mint. I've heard about yes. quite a bit that integrates with with almost with your with your bank accounts and your credit cards, and it it really tracks yes. everything in one space. So mm-hmm. um, you know, don't hold me to it, but I did hear that that's a good resource. Yes, I have hard. actually heard. I have heard of Mint. I have heard of Mint. Yes. Can I just go yeah. back to something we said earlier? Because you said there was, was sure. a two-part answer. What is there a reoccurring theme that goes on with um, women who come to you? Yeah, you do start to see a pattern. You do start to see a pattern after a while. The biggest thing is that it doesn't matter what part of the sector of the community that I'm working in, because I want to I want to break down this misconception out there. There is this misconception that people in more orthodox communities don't understand what's going on with their finances and that is not true right across the community across the communities and I have a lot of clients you know who are are not Jewish as well is that there are um um never make assumptions about where person a person's come from in their life to understand what their what so that they understand what their financial situation is or not so I just want to make that point. But at the same time, the pattern that I see is that a lot of women in particular have made this conscious decision that it's all too hard, that it's too hard, you know, it's too hard. And they give up, they give up and they find themselves at a point, like when I see them, if there's someone who's divorced or widowed, they're sitting in my office, they're crying to me that they never paid attention, they never asked questions, they never got involved, you know, and they still have a mindset of giving up. And it's very hard to crack through that barrier when that is the mindset that you have because ultimately if that's your mindset, that's what eventuates. And it's like anything, it's small steps. You don't have to be, you know, you you don't have to know everything on day one. And I think that 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 is the common theme. And if people would stop giving up and labelling it as being too hard, they would actually realise that it's probably not as hard as they think it is. But it means being honest with yourself. And for some people, being honest with themselves is a challenge. 
So there's so much crossover with what you just said into other areas. I mean, mental health being one of one yes. of them. Um, and it just reminds me of this quote, it all, it always feels impossible until it's done. And if, you know, anyone could think of a time when they had to do something or they wanted to do something, but it seemed too hard, but then they did it. And after they did it, they said, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. It's not different is what you're saying, right? It's, you're saying it's not different in this category, even if you're not good with yeah. numbers, even if it's you're not good with easier. numbers. That's right. Yes. Right. Because it's even easier because you've got someone hand holding right. you through it. I'm I mean, I'm like that myself. Yeah. I'm like that myself. I procrastinate doing things I don't like doing. And the time it takes up and the brain space that it takes up is crazy because once I ultimately sit down and do it, I think I should have done this years ago. So yeah. the, the hard part is um, the organizational aspect of the finance of managing the finances. When they say it's too hard, what is too hard? Yeah. Good question. What is too hard? Because if they've had someone doing it for them, it just very, it's overwhelming. Okay. I, I don't want to be too critical. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm that, wondering what is too hard. Before, kind of like, let's say you're saying getting a personal trainer, to, yeah, getting yeah. a personal trainer to lose weight, right? It's, it feels too hard. Even if you know, you can hire a trainer, it kind of feels overwhelming. I think. No, I'm wondering which part is too hard. Before, which part is too hard? Before, okay, they came to, before they came to you or after? Well, sometimes people come to me and I'm a little bit of a trigger because I, you know, a woman told me yesterday, she says, oh, my friends, like every time I come from you, my, my friends are upset because I get so stressed. <laughs> I mean, um, no, I don't, it's just one person. Um, so what's so hard? What's so hard is because they're trying to, they're not looking at it one step at a time. And I didn't really want to bring the whole weight thing into it, but I can. There are so many um, there are so many similarities. I'm someone who definitely is challenged and struggles when it comes to weight, but it's, it's a very similar thing. If you look at, if you look at where you start here and you're looking at there, it's overwhelming and it seems impossible, right. but you just have to do one thing different, right, Rivka? One right. little thing different. <laughs> one little thing. <laughs> okay. That's it. So it's what it's, and, and that's what it is. And you don't have to do everything at once. The problem is, is that bills come at once. Everything you don't, there's a lot of things that does happen at once. And you feel like, wow, suddenly I have to deal with all these things. Right. Okay. And so, it, yes, sometimes the learning curve has to happen a little bit faster, but it doesn't have to happen in day one. And also, um, in my experience, the utility companies, the banks, the loan providers, even the tax office, if you are honest and open with them, there is a little bit of breathing space there. No one is going to sell your house from under you if you are in communication about your situation. Okay? I'm like, obviously, it will get to a point if you don't take you know, if you don't meet your commitments at some point, there will be a you know severe consequence. But I'm just saying that if you're in a difficult situation or you need a little bit of time to understand what's going on, if you are open and honest, then there is a lot of a lot of flexibility and sympathy, especially today with COVID or uh, coming out of COVID, um, that that a lot of institutions and utility companies will allow but you can't put your head in the sand. Right. And that's when you would say a financial advisor would be a good thing to have. Well, 
that's first needs to be established. Is it financial counselling you need? Is it financial advising? Because right. for some people, they they're already on top of a component. Like they may be paying their bills. They may understand their cash flow. So, for example, you asked me about examples of people that I'm working with. So right now I am working with a a widow. Um, she was a little bit involved in in her husband's business, but um, really he did everything. They have all these complex financial structures, companies interrelated with all sorts of things. But she knows how to pay her bills. She knows how to pay off a credit card. She's not going backwards in anything. No one's, you know, knocking on her door asking for money. She's okay. But she needs everything else tidied up and she just doesn't understand all the connectivity. Right. So that comes, that's a little bit more complex from an accounting side of things. What I'll do and what I did in her case is we create we had a meeting with her accountant, with her other another professional advisor that works with her. And as a team, we brainstormed, okay, what do we need to do for here for etc. How do we need to set things up? What's going to have the least tax consequence? And then how am I going to design how to invest her money and how to put her on a little payroll of her own money on a regular basis so she doesn't have to feel anxiety about where money should come from for her to live off and her affairs are still being managed, the complex stuff are being managed. So, you know, like Going back to that architect analogy of the project manager, um, that's where I step in sometimes. So, right. so that's that type of client. So, okay. So I like the the analogy of the architect. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you, you can't really build a house without an architect. But um, do we need, do, would you say everybody should have a financial advisor or can they do it on their own? Okay. So no, not everybody needs a financial advisor. Okay. There are a lot of people that do a lot of things themselves. They have the ability to do it and they have the insight. It doesn't hurt to get a second opinion because you don't know what you don't know. So if you feel that you're on track and that you don't need advice, that's fine. But I would say that every, you know, every once in a while, check in with a professional because you don't know what you don't know. Now, the people who make excuses not to see an advisor, that's like making excuses for anything. Typically, the excuse is that they don't have time and that they can't afford it. And financial advice can be expensive, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And there are a lot of ways. um, I know certainly here too. It probably pays off too. Absolutely, it's an investment. Well, I would say, you know, and this is something I had to learn when I was, you know, had my young kids and I was trying to save money and I was scrimping and trying to see what extra work I could do here and there. It was always about expenses. And then when I started to get a little bit more, well, when I got my first opportunity to work in this space, and I didn't know a lot, I only knew the limited that I knew, but, you know, I knew a little bit, I taught that little bit and then built from that. But one of my colleagues, a mentor, I want to say, said to me, he wanted me to come on a conference. It It was in another state, in Sydney, I would have had to you know, pay, pay for the hotel, pay for the flights. I couldn't afford it. And and I said to him, look, I can't afford it. You know, it's too expensive. And he said to me, now you're going to stop right there. This is not an expense. You want to work in this? This is an investment. Turned out to be one of the best investments in my life because that's where I came to a conference where I saw a flyer for a award. I won, I ultimately won that award and then that really snowballed things from from there on. So yes, number one is 
we have to be realistic about the mindset of what is really an expense right. and what's an investment, okay? And people will justify expenses. I mean, we could talk about this for hours and hours about justifications people come up with for expenses. But, right. yes, so seeing an advisor is absolutely an investment and most people will come away from the appointment with something that will be put on, they'll be given direction, clarity, um, a reality check. They will come out with something. But you have to be prepared to be open and honest, okay? That's number one. And number two is if somebody is sincere about getting advice, an advisor will find a way to make it affordable. There are ways. There are ways. And, and, and isn't one of your goals to help a person save some money so they can invest in something else? Um, yeah, yes. And that's where, you know, if we go back to, you know, you talk teaching younger people about finance, you know, the first step was about understanding your budget. The second point in that presentation that I had for them is understanding the difference between saving and investing because right. that, and that probably is a segue into what you wanted to ask about to do with wealth, but there is a big difference between what is saving and what is investing. Right. But what I'm trying to say is it is ultimately an investment. By one, of, one of the ways that it's an investment by hiring a financial advisor is that they can help you save money in order to invest in something else. Well, they can help you identify ways. I mean, help you, know? you as in guide you. Yes, and the guide and also putting some boundaries because there are, again, today there's some such creative ways. Like let's say a person's working and they just, you know, they just have sticky fingers and they just can't control their spending a little bit. There are ways to have employers direct money into an investment or saving vehicle before it even hits their bank account. So um, like here we have this program called um, My Budget. Well, someone started a business called MyBudget.com. Literally what they do is they take your pay, they pay your bills, and you only get what you've got to spend. The reason I'm bringing up saving because I've got that planted in the back of my mind. If I hired you, Esther, I would want you to help me find a way so I can put aside some money to invest. I'm not managing my money well enough to do that. (laughs) Right. Unfortunately, I'm not licensed to give advice in the U.S., but um, but when it comes to that. You can't take on clients in the U.S.? Um, look, I can't give investment advice, but if it's um, if it's beha- if it's more behavioural and more just understanding what's what, then I probably could. But realistically, I think it's better to find somebody, work with somebody closer to where you are, because there's a lot of little things that I wouldn't be aware of, whether it's tax things or benefits, government benefits, things that I just don't know about because I live here and you're over there. Right. Okay. This may be a couple's counseling question, but yeah. um, this is something I really wanted to know as well. In your experience yeah. with dealing with couples, do you think it's a good idea when a woman starts a business of her own to create separate accounts? Um, and is it a good idea uh, to create that a separate account for like holidays, extras? I guess it's a twofold question. I like the idea of people having separate accounts and well, couples, sorry, having separate accounts and having joint accounts. So sometimes the issue that I see with couples um, is that couples compete with each other. They don't appreciate that they really should be on the same team as each other, okay? And if you are on the same team and if you have the same objectives for your family and aspirations for how you want to live your life, number one, these are conversations you need to have. And I know life can be busy and people don't talk about it. They talk about, you know, 
oh, why did you spend money on this or that? But do they sit down and, and actually design a lifestyle and a plan together um, of, of how they want to live their lives? But I still think it's very important as individuals to have your own account. I mean, even though you're in a relationship and it might be the healthiest relationship, you're still individuals. Right. And um, I think that there should be a combination and also, and why there should be a joint account. I mean, it's just, it's sensible for access in case something happens to the other, but for bit, but I think it also then keeps the couple committed to their common goals by having that joint account. So I think both. And if you're running a business, actually, I think that the business should have its own bank account. And that has nothing to do with, are we a couple? Are we not a couple? It is just much easier from an accounting perspective and to give you an insight into how good your business, like the health check of your business, if you are running your business accounts separate to your personal accounts. Right. Um, yeah. Do you think that the wife, like once that uh, the husband and wife has separate accounts and let's say a joint account as well, um, should the wife be contributing to the finances equally as equally as the husband does? Have you seen that? And what do you think works? No. <laughs> no, no, because, yeah. no, you never see that because realistically it, it can't happen in reality. You don't have a husband and wife earn the exact same amount, contribute the exact same, you know, it's not it's not functional. Think about a team sport. Okay. I, I like to give this analogy of tennis doubles. Okay. You've got a tennis double player. One's at the front line, one's on the baseline, one's at the net. What happens? They swap positions. One goes to the baseline, one goes to the net, okay? You can't have two people doing the exact same thing in a, whether it's a, a relationship, a business. You can be very aligned. You can have the same goals. You can want to win together, but every person has their role. And sometimes you meet in the middle and you share certain things, and other times one strength is better utilised for the common good here and the other there doesn't mean that you shouldn't know what's going on. So think about tennis analogy. The person at the net has to know exactly what the person at the baseline is doing. And sometimes they meet in the middle of the court. But you're not going to have two people standing here or two people standing there. But they're on a team. And their coaches would be telling them the strategy every session about how one did here and one did there. and you know, out of the corner of your eye, watch what's going on. So you can't just be in your own little world here. You're a team. If you're a couple, you're a team. Do what your strength is, but absolutely know what the other's doing. Right. That's you know great. what you answered? Yeah, that's a really good analogy. And I was going to ask you something next. I was going to see if I was going to even put it in this podcast, but um, <laughs> but you kind of answered the there. question. No, I'll, I'll just, you know what, we'll see if we put it out there. But like, let's okay. say, for example, I opened up my own account if it for special occasions, for giving my kids money, for if we go on vacation, yeah. stuff like that. My husband was already taking care of everything else. But then once I started creating the business, it's like, it would be helpful if you contributed to the finances as well. I mean, I came to my own conclusion. I actually do contribute now because I do think he's right. Like if you feel like I contribute a little bit towards that and then I still have money for those other things. Yes. Okay. So I would say that a lot of times the person carrying the, I wouldn't say the burden of 
the financial management in the family, it's a very lonely role. I mean, I single for a very long time and when people, you know, ask about what it's like to be single, you know, they they never expect the answer that I tell them. They usually think it's something way different and more, you know, emotional and as opposed to one of the hardest things about being single is making decisions on your own. I mean, that can be great as well, but, you know, having the responsibility of sole decision-making. Okay. Now, when you're on your own, there is no one else. And I know one of the worst things about being single is there's never anybody to blame for anything. Even when you drive somewhere, you get stuck (laughs) in traffic. I just want to turn around and say, why did you come this way? (laughs) And I can never do that. (laughs) Yes. But if you're in a relationship, okay, and you're the sole decision maker, it's a very lonely role and it's a very responsible role so I think by contributing you're taking the load off you're saying you know what I understand what you're going through making these decisions for our family okay and you maybe there are things that you didn't know because you know the the person managing the finances I don't want to talk about you because I don't know about you but uh, you know the person managing the finances not trying to be controlling loving loving their family, trying to protect their family, maybe protecting their family from the truth, okay? So by making, by sharing in that, you're actually sending a message to your partner, your husband, saying, you know what, I understand what it's like and I'm in this with you. And you know what, if you are making the money, why shouldn't you take the load off a little bit and share it? Because you know what? Unless he's the sort of person that says, oh, well, now she's giving money so I can go and do whatever is one thing. But if he's like, okay, she's giving money, which means now I can manage things a little bit differently so that there's something extra for us. But you've got to have that conversation. Right. So I have spoken to many people. We've had had these conversations before. And I, I can't tell you how many people have told me, women have told me, um, that they have no concept of the finances because their husbands take care of everything. And mm-hmm. it's not that they don't want to. It's just like you said earlier, it feels overwhelming. It feels impossible. They don't know where to start. And I think people like to have clarity. And I, and I think mm-hmm. that people should know that if you're in a situation where one person is handling everything and you have nothing to do with it, it just it's important to have these conversations. I mean, and it, it is a scary thing. It is a scary thing, mm-hmm. but it's, um, again, like Rifka and I talked about many times also on this podcast, remember we talked about taxes, like, I don't even know where to start, you know, filing my taxes. It just takes that little one step and it's about teamwork. And yep. once you start, you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll get on track eventually. Just take that first step. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wrote an article um, a number of years ago called um, How Much Should a Wife Know About Family Finances? And um, I mentioned in it, and I do discuss this, at, you know, when I'm doing seminars and things, that how do you start that conversation? If in the dynamic of your relationship, it's never been a conversation or you've been a little bit polarised in your role and then suddenly you wake up, because this is something that I see as well, as women reach their late 40s, 50s, and they start to think a little bit more about, okay, well, the kids have grown up. And um, are we okay? And I just want to know a little bit more. It's a, it's a sense of security. 
But, you know, different people, if you start to question something, those questions can be very destabilising. So, you know, the, the responses are also quite polarised. Number one, you, you know, you start to ask questions like, why are you asking? What are you planning? Um, what do you need to know? Don't You don't trust me, you know, and it becomes a thing, <laughs> you know. Alternatively, it's like, thank God, finally, you're waking up. Yes, I want, I want to tell you about this. You know, I want to. I've been wanting to. How many times have I asked you to come and sit down and I want to tell you where everything yeah. is and you've never wanted to? So I think, um, if, you know, smart wives <laughs> need to appreciate, the, you know, that they're gonna, if they're going to ask the questions, do your asking. You know the person you're living with better than anybody. And make sure that you ask the questions away. It's not threatening, that it's about your own security and peace of mind. It's not about distrust. It's about just it's for you. And then make the time to have that conversation. And if you can't have it on your own, then maybe get a professional in because not a marriage counsellor, but go I think see you could be a marriage counsellor, Esther. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I say? Like, okay, so you know Rifka, I'm in a relationship now, but yes. um but I met, um, I met him in Australia just now. I'm so excited for right. you. Thank you. Am I allowed but to say it's been 20 years? It's been 20 years. We met a few years ago. So yeah. No, it's, it's been, been 20 years since over, you've been in a relationship about. Correct. Yes. It's since amazing. I've been in, yes. Um, so the thing is though, I used and to say for you. Thank you. He is. So I used to say. I am an expert at marriage. Even though I'm not married, I think I'm an expert at marriage because because I'm not married, I'm not self-absorbed in my own relationship and I can observe everybody else's and this, you know, just 20 years of observation of other people's relationships, you know, put all this research together. So I am, but you know what? No, I am not a marriage counsellor. I'm not a marriage therapist. But even because what we do we, are, we get an insight into people's finances. We get an insight into their health situation. Um, when we're talking about finances, first of all, I have to understand people's relationship with money, which means there's a lot of baggage and history to delve in to understand their behaviours. So sometimes I'm a psychologist. Sometimes I'm a marriage counsellor. Sometimes, sometimes I'm a policeman. Sometimes I'm somebody's daughter or mother, you know, that's not related to me. Um, and I look at and I reflect on my day and think, did I actually even do any financial advice? <laughs> um, financial advisors, we're not so good at, you know, telling people what we do. You know, we are a, still a relatively new profession, but there is a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of trust. Obviously, we're dealing with people's money yeah. and I can't be effective with your money and planning your, you know, your finances if I don't understand what makes you tick. Right. Because if two people came to see me and each of them said, I've got, you know, half a million dollars to do something with, I've got half a million dollars, the strategy would not be the same. It would be very different depending on the circumstances, concerns, objectives, investment preferences, profiles. There's so many other little nuances that come into it. Okay. So now, now that you mentioned investment, yeah. I, I don't want to forget to ask this question. Yeah, sure. So again, you know, you mentioned how in schools, we're not really learning finance 101. Yep. And um, mm-hmm. there's so many terms that feel foreign to yep. like a lay person 
like, you mm-hmm. know, for example, like dividends, mutual funds, stocks, bonds. I mean, all of these things, you know, that relate to investing your money and saving for the long-term retirement, whatever. Um, so could you give us some insight into that? Like what's the, you know, the 101 on all of on investing money? The one-on-one. Okay. Okay. I'll give you the one-on-one because everything you've mentioned could be a seminar on its own to understand, you know, what are, what are dividends, what are stocks, what are bonds, all of that. We we tried doing a little crash course in one question. (laughs) That's okay. Because I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you something, an attitude thing, because everything's attitude, right? And mind, the rest is just, you know, stuff that follows through. What people need to understand is that different investments, so different assets, so things like stocks is a type of an asset. Putting money into bonds is a type of an asset. Leaving money in cash is another type of asset. Buying a property is another type of asset. Every asset has its own characteristics, like a personality, okay? And sometimes as investors, we want to manipulate the personality types and the characteristics to get an outcome that we want as opposed to respecting it for what it is. So I'm going to give you another analogy. You know, people have different personality types. Some people are quiet, shy, reserved, and other people are loud and out there and wild, okay? And you know that if you're going to have a night out with whoever, you're going to have a, it's going to be a night. And other people, you go over, it's going to be a quiet night in, okay? And if you don't like those people, you stay away from them. You know, when we were younger, we were in school. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be? You know why? Because I'm not. Because we're never at our best when we're trying to be something that we're not. Okay? And it's exactly the same with different assets and different investments. Don't try to make them something they're not. Understand who and what they are, appreciate them for what they are, and see where they fit into your, you know, your financial social chevra. See where they fit. If you don't like their characteristics and their personality types, stay away from them. If you like them, but you only have a limited tolerance for them, introduce a bit of it. But it's important to understand what their characteristics are, how they perform, how they're influenced by different factors in the market, and then to get a good, I mean, what I've spent time doing is explaining to people what they should expect if money is invested in that environment versus that environment or a mix and how to get that mix right. And so not there's no one size fits all. So there's no one size fits 100%, all. 100%. There is no okay. one size fits all because everyone's got a different attitude. But the 101 is to understand that the markets and that investments will perform how they perform, not how you want them to perform. I mean, this um, is what, what the important thing is, you know, discipline, steady, just, you know, bit by bit, filter the noise. Who cares that someone's just made a fortune because you're never going to hear when they lost it. You're only going to hear when they made it. Just, you know, there's a book called The the, the Millionaire Next Door. It's, it's just about regular people who became millionaires because they just made good choices along the way and little steps. 
No, it's, it's, it's written in the US. Sounds great. Yeah. It's a bit like, have you heard that podcast, How I Built This? No. It's also the, it's a similar kind of thing um, about these people that built, that made, that became millionaires one step at a time. There's a great book mm-hmm. actually that my, my husband bought for my kids. It's like a very um, it's simple language, one-on-one kind of on money, finance, investing. I can't remember what it's called, but I'll look into it and I'll put it in the notes. But um, um, how early can we start teaching kids about this kind of stuff? Do you think? I should have brought a book. It's sitting just in my coffee table in front of me. Um, I found it in the post office the other day. Um, it's called Money Doesn't Grow on Trees, and it's a children's book. <laughs> it's very colourful. That's why I bought it. I like colour. Um, yes. Um, how how young? Very young. Very young. Very, very young. Um, that, so one thing that I didn't say before, which I, sh- I, I, I should have said, is that what's also what's important to teach children, okay, this is younger children as well and adults, is that in life you have to learn how to save and spend at the same time. Okay, so I can tell you from my kids, you know, one of them was a huge save, 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 and then it was very painful when she had to suddenly start spending. And another kid, make and spend, make and spend. So if your kids are making money, whether it's birthday presents or bar mitzvahs or whatever the occasion is, babysitting, whatever it is, um, no matter how young, Always teach them the concept that they should put some money away. Obviously, the money they put away as savings ultimately will be used as investments. But the concept of put money away and you're allowed to spend a bit and let them spend. Don't not let them spend. Come up with an amount, you know, it doesn't have to be half and half. You work out what it is. And if you want, Part of that education to also be, you know, there's this formula that they should save 45%, spend 45% and give away charity of, of 10%, which fits very nicely into our, our lifestyle. Yeah. Shuffle the percentages however you want, but let them do all and let them certainly do spending and saving at the same time because that is what happens in reality. You have to learn how to do both. Love your knowledge about personality types. It makes, I, just in general, analogies make, you know, mm-hmm. complex subjects easier to understand. So the, you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, if you have one child who's, you know, more of some, a saver, one per, one who's more of a spender, um, just we can get a, a real life example. How would you advise the one who saves, who's the saver? And how would you advise the one who's the spender on investing their money? Okay. Well, Okay, so it's very good to have all this advice, but sometimes in you know, honestly, in, in practicality, it doesn't necessarily work that way. I think it depends on the age of your children. You can't go to your, you know, fifteen year, or maybe you can, but you know, it's not likely that if your fifteen year old is starting to work and might have their own account, that you say, okay, give me your money, or this is what you have to do with your money. I think that open conversations and people being realistic. You don't have to tell your children your whole financial situation, but they can know a little bit of truth, okay? Um, But talk about money with them. And when it comes to to dealing with those different um, personality types is find a way to explain to them why, what they should be doing things a little bit differently. But I think, you know, once they get a bit older, it's hard to, to change the rules. It's like anything with parenting. That's why it needs to start young because you can't come to a teenager and say, 
right, this is what we're doing in our house now when you've conditioned them for years that things have been going on a different way. Unless they have, some kids wake up, they just wake up and go, do you know what, I'm, I'm starting to make a bit of money now. I want to be, you know, I want to be better with it, you know, and they'll raise the conversation. But kids get money young these days, Hanukkah girls, whatever it is. What age do you think is a good age to open a bank account for a child? Yeah, I think, well, as soon as they start to get money, but um, let's say by 10, they should have a bank account because by 10, there's there's already a little bit of money coming through. Even if it's, you know, if you're going to ask me about pocket money, I've got two thoughts on that. But um, it depends because. What is your two thoughts on pocket money? I'll get to that. But if you're, if you're, um, if your child happens to be, for some reason, if you if you do have quite a young child that has that's been given money, um, you know, then you, you might want to consider having a bank account. I mean, putting the money in the bank is safer than leaving it at home. Right. But you also have to think about, you know, how much it is and, you know, if there's any tax consequences. Leave that aside. We're not talking about huge amounts of money. Let's talk about small amounts. Then, you know, probably... 10, 11 um, is, is, is a good age. You know, if they have nothing and there's not much, then maybe wait till certainly by bar and bat mitzvah is, it, is, is, a good time to, is, is a good time to have their own bank account. They're becoming, you know, a little bit more conscious. Oh, you said you had some thoughts on pocket money. I'm curious. Yeah. So, you know, people sometimes ask me about that and like, I think if it's, if it's a matter of teaching your child how to manage money, then little amounts, that pocket money is good because then you're giving them a, a, a start when they're younger. Otherwise, how's an eight-year-old, where's, where's an eight-year-old making money from? You know, see, but I don't believe that pocket money should be given for chores and responsibilities around the house. I think if you're part of the family, you need to learn to contribute, you need to learn to be responsible, and you don't have to be rewarded or penalised with money because then what happens like to you know you're using money as the reward or the, the it, it can't be the incentive or the disincentive when it comes to being making a contribution in a family okay so so if so yeah, but that approach case, is actually a modern approach it's 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 a, an approach of today not to give gifts for doing something you're getting a gift for the sake of getting a gift not because you've done something in the house Oh. That, uh, right. Okay. So my kids, I, I don't have little kids anymore, so I'm not really up to date with all the oh, new yeah, up to date. parenting what stuff. What did you know? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Intuitively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's no one size fits all formula, of course, you know, for really anything, but are there any exceptions? Like everybody should be doing A, B, and C when it comes to investing. A universal <laughs> rule that you would share with your clients? I'll tell you, if there's one thing you could tell all of your clients, if that makes sense, what, what would you say? Well, we had said, we had written down, if there was a billboard, what would it say on it? Yeah, if there was a billboard, I don't know if it would be anything financial related, if I got to have the opportunity to have my own billboard. <laughs> um, what would it say? <laughs> what would it say? Look, um, I'm very much... Uh, my, my lesson in life, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, so my lesson in life is that I, um, all good things came to me when I believed that I can do it and I listened to my inner voice. Whenever I believed what other people thought of me, that's when all the bad things happened. 
thank God, not too many. So I've been very blessed in my life. I just want to say that, thank God. But, um, you know, all the things that I didn't think I could do for whatever reason, when I stopped listening to that voice, I did what I did. I believed in myself. You know, all great things came to me. And I often say I've got this little, you know, this little guardian angel that, that you know, things just happen. Great. I've been very blessed. But, but you know, nothing is that hard. One little step at a time. That's all. You just have to want to do something. Um, That's a good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. I saw somewhere that um, very often couples have complementary personalities. You know, they go well together. Like you have an extrovert and an introvert, right? So they kind of mm-hmm. attracted to each other. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and the same kind of goes for for money. It's common for like a spender to meet a sa- to marry a saver or to be in a relationship with a saver because there's something complementary there. Mm. Do you find that? Yeah. Do you see that? Um, not that much. I mean, yes, we see more. You know, there, there are complementary, you know, opposite personality types. But you can be different personality types, but then when it have comes to money, role. have that same attitude. Right. right. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yes. True. Yes. Um, exactly. But there are there. I mean, when there are some behavioural issues when it comes to money, um, you know, it's not a relationship thing. It's more about what's going on with that individual. If it's a relationship thing, typically it, it, it spills into the relationship. Well, it has an impact if there's, you know, if the money's gone, but also it's an opportunity to blame. So I was, I was joking about blame before, but it, it's a really serious thing in some relation. I'm doing this because you don't let me. And, you know, I've had, I don't like to use the word, well, you know, control. Obviously, there are people who are controlling and abusive when it comes to money and financial abuse. We haven't talked about that at all. Financial abuse is a huge problem, especially um, um, with, with, you know, elder abuse, but let's leave that aside. Um, But there are some people who have said to me over the years, and I find this really wrong, that, oh, my husband controls all the money. I don't have any, you know, I can't make any decisions. I have no involvement then you see what's really going on and you see he's not controlling anything. You have opted out of decision-making, okay? You've opted out. If you opt out and you check out of decision-making, somebody's got to step up. And it's not about taking control or power or whatever. It's someone needs to do something and needs to take affirmative action. And if you want to opt out and then when it's convenient, turn around and say, I can't because he's controlling. No, he's not. You enabled it. Now, I don't want to disrespect that there are genuine situations of people being being financially controlled and abused, and I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about women who, and I'm sorry, being tough on women here, (laughs) but, you know, the women who have decided to opt out because it's all too hard. Yeah? It's not. Right. I might I say at the same time, Esther is a feminist. <laughs> well, I live my life as a feminist. <laughs> yeah, I'm not out there. No, well, but I am. Not, no, you are, but you're also real, which is nice. It's a good combination. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I, I, I don't let anything stop me from doing what I feel I want to do. I mean, the, the gender side of it, I mean, yes, of course, there are gender issues. Um, I've always been very comfortable in in 
environment of a lot of men and maybe that's why I've got a career in financial advice there are not a lot there are more women coming into it now but traditionally this is not a a woman's career you know so there is a huge advantage for me professionally being female and being an advisor especially now that I'm you know somewhat established but um um and this is why we're talking to you because we love we love um that you as a female have are an expert and and really and and very respected in Australia for your job Thank you. Thank you very um, yeah. much. Yeah. You, yes, mm-hmm. truth. Um, what does financial freedom mean to you? And what mindset do we need to have to achieve this? Mm-hmm. So to me, financial freedom means being in a position to have choices. It's about choice. To me, freedom is about choice. It means if I want to do something, I can do it. I don't have to think about, you know, what am I going to have to miss out on because I'm doing that. Okay. Now, We all make choices. We make little choices. We're not even conscious of the choices that we're making constantly. And sometimes we do have those conversations with ourselves like, you know, I don't need that now because I'm going to do that later or, you know, I don't really need a pair of shoes. Yeah, it looks nice, those shoes, but what do I need another pair of shoes for? You know, those are little things. So always making those little choices. But I'm talking about big choices. I'm talking about freedom as in I don't have to worry that if I need to go and visit my daughter overseas, I can get on a plane and I can go and see her or when I'm old, really old. And I know this sounds so, it's so far removed from where we are at our stage of life now, but what happens when, you know, I'm beyond retirement, I'm in my, you know, situation that I need care as an elderly person, what's that care going to look like? You know, I mean, I work hard my whole life. I bring up a family and the very last stages of my life, am I going to be living with dignity and the right support or am I going to be, you know, stuck somewhere and ignored because no one can afford anything else? So I know it's extreme but that is what I'm seeing and that is the difference between, you know, it's so crazy to when people tell you about their lives, especially older people, and you hear what affluent lives they had and where they went and travelled and saw and then how they're living in the last stages of their lives. It's heartbreaking. You know, so, you know, at some, when you're younger, it's hard work. You're not going to have those choices, but the choices that we make there gives us the ability to have more choices and freedom later. It's like a long, short way. Yeah. Yeah. We did an episode of boundaries and freedom. You need to make boundaries in order to have the freedom. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, it's where I feel like we also live in a very instant gratification world where we don't think so much about the future and retirement age. I mean, now it's changing, it's getting a little bit older, but retirement age was 60, not long ago. And so yeah. people are thinking, you know, from 60 years old, there's another 25 to 30 years of supporting a person as themselves. Absolutely. And, That's and right. they've got to think about it. Yes, think. absolutely. I mean, it used to be here, here's the retirement age a hundred years ago in Australia, the retirement age was 65 people died just before or very soon after and now you know you're living still a third of your life in retirement yeah yeah i saw somewhere we you know people live their life as though they're going to die at 30 you know just spend 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 but gotta think long term big picture it's hard it's a hard thing to do nowadays but 
Yeah. Um, well, that's why that's why some of the tools that are available to streamline what happens to your money before it even gets to your bank account are really efficient. And the people who say, oh, I just want to live for now, we don't know what's going to be later, said, yeah, but what if the world doesn't blow up and we are going to be here later, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, um, thanks yeah. for the reminder. Thanks for the reminder. Um, but, you know, it says in Perkins, Okay, but he who is wealthy is happy with their lot. Do yeah. you see this in your career? Is this the mindset that most people have to work on or do you feel like it comes naturally to the people that you work with? Um, yeah, you know what? I it, It's interesting because, you know, you tend to attract the clients who have similar values to you, you know? Yeah. So I can be very real with my clients because I'm dealing with very real people. I've gone beyond, this is where you've got confidence in your career. You go beyond needing to do all this pretentious stuff that gives you a certain image because you're going to attract a certain type of client and then you meet those clients, you don't even like them. Like you don't, yeah. So the people that I work with, we love our clients and I think they love me. Um, so we love each other. Um, but, but yes, that whole concept of being happy with what you have, 100%. I mean, I am very much aligned to that. And I am fortunate enough that I have the strength of character even when I was younger. wasn't strong in everything, but I was certainly strong in not caring what other people thought, not comparing myself to other people, and really being happy with what I have. I agree. You were always like that. Yeah. And my uh, it's funny because I, I have a younger sister. Um, she's not a lot younger than me, but a bit younger yeah. than me. And she's like, yeah, my sister Naomi, she, she often says, you know, being the oldest was completely wasted on you. Like you did nothing to break in my parents. She had to do that. And she she used to ask for things and and I never asked, but she would ask and I would get. And she's like, how does that, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it worked. <laughs> um, yeah, but um uh, one thing that I have had, I mean, it's, it's an absolute privilege, this role that I have, because people do give me such insights into their lives. And, and it is it is a privilege. I don't, you know, I, I appreciate it constantly. But I learned very early, I used to drive to client meetings, and I'd show up in my car, and it would be a nice big house. And I think, oh, they're probably rich, and there'll be stuff I can work with with them. And they were in so much debt. And I'd come out of there a couple of times. I felt like, oh my gosh, like I don't know how these people can live. Like honestly, it's a scary lifestyle. And then other times, the exact opposite. You come to people's homes, you look at the house, and you think, mm, okay, I've just driven all the way out here. This is going to be a complete waste of time. It's night, and you know, I did all sorts of, you know, see clients just to get in front of people in the early days. Um, and then they had a lot to that to show for themselves. They were those the millionaire next door and I'm like you know what that's it and and your values change your values do change and um yeah most of the people that I work with they don't want to become rich for the sake of becoming rich they want to have a certain security in their life and they want me to help them get them there and that's the sort of person I am. I don't need to be the biggest, best financial advisor in Australia. I don't need to drive the fanciest car. You know, at the end of the day, you know, what really matters? But it's not my place to make those judgments for other people. Everyone has to make their own judgment on that. But 100% is the people who are happier and appreciate what they have instead of comparing themselves to others. 
they end up doing better. They're happier. Oh, there was actually a study done in Australia on the happiness factor. And um, yes, people who are advised, who work with a financial advisor, are generally happier in life. There you go. It's an actual study. Nice. So I, I, it, we went in such a different direction from what I had expected, but in a positive way. I, I, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to leave with a better understanding of what's, what, you know, what are bonds, mutual funds, this and that. But this conversation was so much bigger than that. I think it, mm-hmm. knowing it, you know, where it starts is really understanding like your, your relationship with money, your relationship with others, you know, how you communicate, how you live. And nowadays we have so many resources online where you can Google, you know, the term, these terms, but this is like substance, you know, this, the person who is wealthy is happy with his lot, his or her lot um, Mm -hmm. and so forth. So I love your insight. Thanks. Well, there's actually, um, um, I don't know if you've heard of robo advice. Is that something that's familiar to you? So robo as in robot (laughs) advice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago, and even still, there's discussions around, is robo-advice going to negate the need for people to engage with a financial advisor? Because, you know, it can ask you how much money you have and what's your profile and da-da-da-da-da. But at the end of the day, we're in a relationship business. And if you want to get the most out of it, um, you can do things robo. There is 100% a place for robo. And as part of my solution, I even I even access robo stuff myself. But to maximize something, you really, I mean, if it's about people, there's, we can engage like this on Zoom. We can be on other sides of the world. But at the end of the day, people need people. And it's, the, it's really understanding what's going on up here. And no robot can ask every single question, but a robot's not going to see the tears well up in your eyes when you answer the question and realize it's struck on a chord we need to talk about this a little bit more they're not going to ever be able to replace that so yes there is a place for robo and it's better than nothing but there's absolutely a place for a relationship when it comes to financial advice yeah i'm looking up i'm looking up robo there's actually a robo advisor Okay. Oh <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No, but yes, I totally agree. Like human contact, uh, it is nothing yeah. like that. And either all those different topics on stocks and bonds, and that's just information. That's black yeah. and white. Yeah. You can yeah. read all of that. We that's something you can do on you Robo. Can, you can exactly. You can learn about all that stuff, and or we can have a session on that. <laughs> um, but that's very. That's technical. Right. Yeah. yeah. But building, you know, um, you wouldn't go online and get a robo architect, you know, right. even though you can look up timber and you can look up different types of glue and roof tiles and paints and etc. <laughs> you're not getting a robo architect to design your house and, you know, you're going to talk yeah. about what you like in your kitchen and get feedback on what's good because you like to sit down when you do this or stand or whatever. You know, you know what I mean? It's, I yeah, I do. And like you said, you know, when you, when you work with people, you need honesty, you need people to be real. You can't do that through a computer. You need to really be able to tap into the person, see what they like, see yeah. how their life works. And, mm-hmm. and you have to help yeah. them. You have to lead them to a place where they believe they can attain financial freedom, no matter how much money they have in the bank. 
you know, yeah. it, it can come It's a process and maybe it mind, it takes mind shifting, but it's possible. It, it's, it's possible. Now, I think we should also acknowledge that for some people in very difficult financial situations, the possibilities are, I think I don't want to be condescending and say, look, it's possible. Why don't you just study? Why don't you, it's not fair to do that. Um, and that there are people who do need support. They do need to be supported. But, you know, if we talk about doing one little thing different or, or even, you know, that person in a really difficult situation, if it's very hard for them to change their circumstance, but if they, everyone has some influence, everyone's a leader, you know, everyone is a leader over someone. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a teacher, you're a leader, you know. So in any, in whatever your leadership capacity is, find a way to empower whoever you can power, empower to make the better decisions so that they don't end up in the same situation. Wow. You said so many wise things to us today, <laughs> including that we, each one of us is a leader. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have on that? I mean, I feel like you already gave us such a beautiful parting message, but do you have a favorite quote or would you like to share a parting message, a further parting message with us? I mean, my, I have a favorite quote, how it fits in. I mean, it sort of does fit in. This is my like favorite quote. I say it a lot. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt said many years ago, she says, what other people think of her is none of her business. Right. <laughs> and I love that. I love that. And um, it does yeah, tie in with so, what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, filter, we have to filter, not get caught up in the noise around us when it comes to other people's expectations. You know, there are saboteurs. You know, Rifka, the people who sit down and say, just have a little piece of cake. It's only one, it's one little piece. It's no big, okay, they're called, you know, Jenny Craig used to call them saboteurs. And there are people who will sabotage because it makes them feel better. You know, it's, it's about me. And we have to, we have to not buy in to other people's issues and stay true to what's important. To us, it doesn't matter what labels we get. When I was, when you know, when socially, when my kids were younger, and I wasn't able to do what some of my friends were doing, and they would, you know, oh, you know, they they labelled me a little bit, not terribly. I don't want to use bad language on this, <laughs> but they, you know, they questioned why I was being so tight. <laughs> um, and you know, today the tables have turned a little bit. Um, yeah. And I, I and um, when my oldest daughter was going on a gap year to Israel, I um, I actually rented her room out to a, a a student that that was coming from actually from South America, and someone said to me, "Why are you putting a stranger into your house? Like, why why are you? It's so like, what do you want a person living in your house for?" And I said, "I just." Well, I was very blunt and I just said to him, because I don't have the same money tree growing in my backyard as you do. Okay. And that was the end of that. that. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly what I said. (laughs) I said, I don't have the same money tree in my backyard as you do. And that was the end of that. You know, on the topic of, um, uh, you know, other people's, I love that quote, other people's opinions, uh, other people's opinions of you are really none of your business. It reminds me of this, um, this quote actually by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. 
you mm-hmm. see what needs to be repaired and how to repair it, then you found a piece of the world that God left for you to complete. But if you only yeah. see what's wrong and what's ugly in the world, then it is you yourself that needs repair. Doesn't directly relate, but that just kind of came up for me because yeah. it's it's important for people to to be kind and respect each other and not judge each other and being kind. Actually, yeah, that's beautiful, Ida. And what came up for me, what I was thinking when you were sharing was compare yourself only to who you were yesterday, not to what someone else is today. Yeah. So even when yeah. being a financial advisor, um, it's really about growing in, in understanding and learning your finances and who you are and what you want from mm-hmm. them and not yep. comparing to what someone else is. Right. Yep. I mean, I, earlier in my career, I used to see what other advisors were doing who started around the same time as me and seemed to be kicking goals and doing things at a much faster pace. And I would question myself and say, well, why aren't I doing that? You know, I'm, I should be able to do all that. And then, and then I realized, you know, at the end of the day, who's my competition? My competition is not anybody else. My competition is exactly what you said, Rivka. It's me. It's am I being the best version of what I can be doing? And I can only, I'm only one person that can, managing a lot of different things in life, I can only be doing the best with what my circumstances are at that time. And, you and know, you to be honest with yourself, you go, well, yeah. I, sometimes I do it better than others. I have my own, you know, yeah, I've got my own little demons and things that I have to, that I have to um, work on. And even when it comes to the financial side of things, you know, sometimes I have to remind myself, hang on, what did I just do? That is totally against what I would tell everybody else to do. But at the, most of the time, I am doing what I tell everybody else to do because I didn't have to. I mean, I had to teach myself technical stuff and you learn a lot of skills along the way and I've studied and I'm still studying actually, but this came naturally to me, you know? So it, it was a, it was alignment as I studied and I did the financial planning topics, which I've never heard of before. And I thought, wow, this is what I do for me. This is why I'm studying this. This is what I want to do for other people and make a career out of it. And it's funny, Ida, you've mentioned the word perspective a number of times and my business is actually called perspective financial services I love that. <laughs> oh God, that's um, amazing. <laughs> yeah because that's what it is it's all about perspective can yeah. i tell you esther do we all yeah. all three of us have something in common yes we actually started our podcast because um Ida and i found something in common with each other and that we weren't we're not we weren't the same we're not the same people today as we were when we were growing up like a little bit mm-hmm. very similar to how you described yourself very chill laid back just having a good time, not taking life too seriously. Um, and, you know, it just, I guess it's why something in me really want to in, um, interview you because of that and because of what you have to offer and share with us. But I just love how we all have that in common. And I think part of the growth has been not comparing ourselves to anybody else and really just believing mm-hmm. in ourselves that we can we can achieve. And I like the realness of saying, you know, you're not always perfect and you have your little demons that you work on, but overall it's been 20 years and look where you are and look how many people you have helped along the way. Yeah. Well, I, I really feel very, very, very blessed. I also feel that I've been given a gift and if this is my gift, it's my responsibility to share it. So, you know, yes, I have a profession. I charge people, I make money, but that's not enough. I have a responsibility to share this knowledge and that's why I love doing these type of things. And I, anytime I'm asked to speak in the community, I speak, I don't ever charge for it because, you know, that is my, 
I mean, there's lots of different ways we can give back. We can give back financially, but we can give back as well and in, in other ways. So, yeah, it's, I can't keep this to myself. I have to share it. I'm obviously, I'm very passionate about it. That's amazing that you feel like you're doing your mission. You're in your mission, but I want you to know I'm so inspired by you right now because I'm just thinking back. I remember those days when you were so chill and, uh, you know, just maybe mischievous as well and <laughs> doing your thing as a young girl. And then watching you also struggle when you went through um, having your girls and then going through a divorce and now seeing where you are today and how much you've accomplished. And I just want to say that I'm one encounter um, of someone being very inspired by you and uh, respect. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I was, I was going to say, just be careful what you say, because I also remember you growing up. So. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I, I know. <laughs> really, I, I'm so proud of what what you both do. I have watched a number of your podcasts, and particularly after Rabbi Sachs passed away, and and that pod, that little snip that went viral. I have a whole lot of his books around here and there. Um, and um, yeah, you know, Rifka, especially you, Ida. I didn't know you growing up, but Rifka's a complete butterfly and um i get so much you know happiness as well to see and and you know you're sharing so much wisdom to all your listeners um on all the different topics you present and you should just keep 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 doing what you're doing you're doing great thank you thank you you're welcome so we're gonna have a great evening and you have a great morning (laughs) (laughs) thank you thanks a lot okay Well, nice to see you guys. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Take care. Thanks again. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye.